Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Have you got a pension? Chances are, by the time you retire, you'll have more than one. Tina, my guest this week, is struggling to keep track of all of hers. As I progressed with my career... I had different pension schemes to join with a company and I ended up with three pensions and a state pension on top. Mm. And then, of course, don't really think much of it and they just sit in the files and sort of collect dust. And then now I'm in my 50s, I was thinking, oh, I better really get my head around this stuff and dig out the files and check the status. Tina has four pensions that she needs some help sorting out. But listeners in their 20s and 30s could have even more by the time they retire. It's all a mess of paperwork. At the moment, it's just a real unclear mixed bag. So to make it all a lot clearer, Tina is wondering, would it make sense to combine her different pensions into one big retirement fund or leave them as they are? I really need to sort of make sense of my pensions and get some clarity and and some advice and guidance from the experts. Welcome to Money Clinic, the weekly podcast from the Financial Times dedicated to tackling real-life financial issues. I'm Claire Barrett, the FT's Consumer Editor. Pension savings are something we build up throughout the years we work. But financial advisors tell me it's not something people really pay attention to until they turn 50, as Tina well knows. When you're in your 20s, 30s, you don't really care. I mean, it's like, this is a bit boring. Let's move on, sign the paperwork. Let's go back to my work. You know, that's really how it is. Where are we going for lunch later? Yeah. (laughs) And it it made me think, and it's probably not just me who who does the same thing. The pension you take out, you don't really care less. And then to say until you're 50 and think, whoops, what did I do here? Tell me a little bit more about how you feel about that. Well, I really was looking for advice on how to do something between now and when the retirement age is to maximise the investment in the different schemes. Partly, I would like to invest it somewhere else and make it do something good for the environment. But before even thinking about where to put the money, Tina's first task was to work out what she had and where and how much it was all worth. A complicated process as she's lived and worked overseas for many years first in Hong Kong and now in Luxembourg. It takes time because, of course, it's the wrong address, the wrong name. And then it's actually when you look at these 20-page documents, you have to read through them and understand what it all means. I would love to have a definitive, that's how much I'm going to get when I'm 50 or 60 or 70. I I really distill it a bit 
um, unclear. A former project manager, Tina's admin skills have equipped her well for this battle. The first thing she found out was that all of her pensions are what's known as DC. That means defined contribution. Yeah, the pensions industry really couldn't make your future retirement sound any less exciting. Defined contribution means you're building up a pot of money that's invested in the markets, which will hopefully grow over time until you reach retirement age and decide what to do with it. If you're under the age of 40, it's highly likely that any pensions you have will fall into the DC category. Now, if you stop paying into a pension because you've moved to another country or you start working for a different employer, you don't lose the benefit your money stays invested inside the pension. To kick off with, I wanted to find out just how well Tina's pensions have performed. The first one she had, aged just 17, was set up by her brother, who used to sell them. Now, you've got a bit of a mixed bag. So let's start with the one that your brother, the former pension salesman, helped you set up when you were 17. How much is that one worth? It's about a hundred around about 100,000, I imagine, at this point. Brilliant. So you're waiting for the paperwork to come through, giving you an up-to-date valuation. But that sounds like it's the biggest one of all of the pensions that you've got, even though you had to stop paying into it in 2008 when you moved to Hong Kong. Exactly. Tina's second pot is an old workplace pension. She had a job years ago with a UK company for 18 months and sensibly signed up for the pension scheme. She didn't pay in very much, but her employer matched her contributions. However, she doesn't feel like it's doing much for her future. Yes, so that one, it's worth about six and a half thousand. I can't cash it in until I'm 55. It's sort of sitting there. Now, then there was another company that you worked for at the turn of the millennium, and that actually had quite generous employer contributions. They were paying in more than you were paying in. Exactly, yes. They were playing in 7% and I was matching it. I was putting in 3%. Listener alert. Don't underestimate the value of those matched contributions. Tina only worked for this employer for a short time, but this pension is currently worth around £30,000. Unfortunately, going through her paperwork, Tina has realised that the level of charges on this pension are much higher than the others. You made some changes to that pension prompted by your company that you didn't really understand the import of at the time, but you think that in hindsight that was a bit of a bad decision. Yes, so they advised me to change pension schemes and then it turns out I've actually had to pay a commission of around £1,300 to the expert. And on top of that, I get charged an annual fee of, it's not very much, it's in the order of £50, but it's still something which I think, what exactly are they managing on my pension? We'll come back to fees later on. But if we add these three pension pots together, what have we got? Right, OK. So we're approaching £150,000 for your total retirement savings, which is not dreadful. It's a lot more than what some people have. But obviously, with the lifestyle that you're accustomed to living in Luxembourg, the amount of time that you might be retired for, I'm sure you know that the money that you've got isn't going to perhaps go as far as you would want it to in retirement. Exactly. Going forward, Tina wonders if she could make it easier to manage her retirement money by putting it all in the same place. I just want to be able to say, okay, I know any given time, 
I can go, oh, my pension when I'm 55, I can draw down from this one. When I'm 60, I can get that pension. It, at the moment, it's just a real unclear mixed bag. So I'm sensing from that that you would probably be comfortable managing money within the pension if you could put them all together. Apart from anything else, it would be much easier for you to see what you're on track to end up with in retirement. But what I'm just nervous of is paying another commission somewhere hidden in page seven of a 20-page document by doing that. That's, I guess, my biggest concern in a way. There's one pension we haven't talked about yet, which is an important part of everyone's retirement, the UK state pension. Worth around £9,000 per year, Tina will qualify for this at age 66. To get the full amount, she needs to have 35 years of national insurance contributions. But because she's worked overseas, she's missing 11 years worth. Okay, so at the moment you've got 20 odd years that you've built up while you were living and working in the UK, paying national insurance. And they're saying in order to get the maximum, which is 35 years, you've got to buy 11 years worth of contributions. Yes. So I've got a proposal from the state pension bodies. I think it's something like I pay £2,000. And I can then get the full state pension, but I'm then contemplating, is it worth spending that money or should I just put that money somewhere else? So that's one of Tina's questions for my experts who will have tips on how to turbocharge your pension contributions. What other guidance is she looking for? So should I be considering merging my three personal pensions into either one pension or into a totally different investment? And I'm particularly interested in funds like the ESG funds, so actually doing something for the environment. Going forward, if I were to merge my pensions into one scheme, what are the tips that can be watched or gathered to make sure that I am keeping track of my pension and I'm aware of any loopholes or any fees that may be charged? The first expert I turned to was financial planner Catherine Morgan, who hosts a podcast called In Her Financial Shoes, which is packed with practical money management tips for women. A lot of people just don't really understand exactly what pensions are. Mm. The knowledge gap, so to speak, makes it really difficult for people to work out, well, how much am I going to retire on? What do I do with all of my pensions? And if you were in Tina's financial shoes, what kind of things should she be thinking about at this point? I think the first thing would be just to understand what you already have. So a little like Tina's already done is, you know, try and mass together your pension statements and, you know, create a spreadsheet or something that just captures the values, the charges, what options you have available to you. And you can just simply fire off a little questionnaire to those existing providers with some of those questions. What Tina wants to know is what kind of retirement the £150,000 spread across her various pension pots might buy her. The second thing to do is to then really understand what do you need to have in retirement. So look at your current lifestyle expenditure and think about, OK, so which of these expenses are going to continue, which are going to stop and which of them actually might increase and one of the simplest rules that you can use to kind of work out, well, how much would I need to have in retirement is to simply take your monthly expenditure now. So let's say you were spending £3,000 per month on your bills and your lifestyle. You times that by 12 to get an annual equivalent. 
So in that example, that would be 36,000. And then you can divide that by either 4% or times it by 25. It's, it, it, you end up with the same figure. And what that does, it gives you a reasonable expectation of if I was to start investing some money for my future self, that would be the kind of fund that I would need to be able to have so that I could have a safe withdrawal rate. Well, it's interesting to hear what you say there, Catherine, because, of course, Tina turning 50 has been the trigger for her to start thinking, blimey, what have I got in terms of pensions? I really need to start thinking about it now. That's often the challenge is that people don't think about the future self. And behaviourists call this cognitive short-sightedness. Okay. Um, The psychology of money today versus money tomorrow is full of a lot of uncertainty and uncertainty drives indecisions and procrastination. Some great pointers there from Catherine. Now let's move from the bigger picture to the detailed sorting out of Tina's multiple pensions. So what I would do is I would write down these four things, where, when, who and what. The first thing to do is to find out where is the money invested? Now, I know for Tina specifically, she mentioned that she was quite keen to be looking at ethical investing. Mm. And looking at where it's invested is a really important question to ask yourself. The second thing is, when will I get my income? And remember, this is changeable. This is one of the biggest challenges I see is that most people still think that I can only take benefits at 55 and I can only buy an annuity with that pot of money. What's an annuity, I hear you ask? Well, in the past, at the point of retirement, most people exchanged their pension pot for an annuity, an insurance policy that pays you a regular income every year until you shuffle off this mortal coil. How much income you might get depends on how much you've saved, but also your age, your state of health, and of course, the financial markets. But there's a problem. Since the financial crisis, ultra-low interest rates have drastically reduced the amount of money that an annuity will pay out, making them poor value for today's retirees. So in 2015, politicians introduced pension freedoms to give us alternative options. There are plenty of options now we're under pensions freedom that she could leave that money and draw that money down, almost like it was a big bank account. Pensions are a lot more flexible than they ever used to be. So that's the where and the when. Now for the who and the what. I would also then look at who. For personal pensions, you choose who you leave those benefits to. So make sure that you have nominated beneficiaries. Mm. And then the final one is what is your income predicted to be? So you can simply just start by looking at the predictions on your statements. But remember that those statements are based on you buying an annuity and based on the performance of the fund, the charges on the fund. £50, for example, might be quite considerable on a small pension part. Where, when, who and what? But another question Tina has is how much? I asked Catherine for her guidance about fees on pensions, a crucial point of comparison. I would always go to your pension provider and ask them for something called an ongoing charge or an OCF. This is essentially a combination of fund charges, platform charges and policy fees. You might look at it and think, goodness, that's a lot of money. But actually, when you compare it to a bog standard personal pension, it may actually be quite realistic or even on the lower side of charges. Now, there are a number of online services that offer to make it much easier for people to combine old pensions. Now, what are the pros and cons that listeners should be 
aware of. They just make it really simple and easy for people. And that's always a benefit in my mind. They'll do the hard graph for you. You know, they'll often help you to track down or maintain those old policies. Avoiding investment duplication is another really big positive. So i.e. if you've got three different pension funds, then you might end up having investments duplicated in each of those three individual funds and actually pulling them together can make financial sense. But let's make it clear, combining pension pots isn't always the best strategy. Consolidating pensions is not an automatic go-to, yes, you should do it. Older schemes Mm. may mean considerable exit charges or additional benefits. And if she consolidates those away, she would lose some of those guarantees that might be attached to those. And also, if you've got smaller pots, typically under 30,000, then actually at the moment, there are still some rules in place that allow you to take those pensions without triggering other penalties and charges. But some of these investment companies, you know, one of the disadvantages to these kind of companies is that they're not giving you financial advice. So if you're ever unsure, I would always still seek financial advice. New online services make it easy to track down and consolidate your pensions, but be aware the charges may reflect this. Catherine agrees with me on this point. And she has one final tip for Tina to spur on her pension sort out. Don't forget pensions as well is not the only way of investing for retirement. Many people nowadays will have multiple income streams for retirement. So property, pensions, business income, digital assets. So this might be a good opportunity to just sit back and think about what is my life now? What do I want it to look like in the future? Where's the gap? And what is the next small step that I can take to help me to move closer towards that ideal future? Tina's other concern is the UK state pension, as she's missed 11 years of contributions while living and working overseas. Who better to ask about this than Sir Steve Webb, the former pensions minister who's now a director at professional firm Lane Clark and Peacock. What's more, he's the same age as Tina. That's right. I turned uh, 50 myself, let's say, a few years ago, and it certainly focuses the mind. Somehow in your 40s, thinking about retirement seems a long way off. But once your age begins with a five, you start to begin to just think, well, what have I got and uh, what do I need? First, on pension consolidation, I wanted to ask Sir Steve for a quick take. I hear from a lot of people who just want it all in one place for tidiness. And there are circumstances where having one big pot, for example, if you're buying an annuity at the end, might get you a better deal. But you just have to be a bit careful. For example, if you have exit penalties when you move money out of one pension, one pension might be performing better than another. And so you need to think quite carefully which one to uh, consolidate into. And sometimes there are special rules for teeny weeny pots, which you lose if you consolidate in one big one. So don't just assume that one big pot is better. So lots of pointers there, but now for the UK state pension. It's a bit complicated, so just to remind you, it's currently worth around £9,000 per year, or about £175 per week. But you need 35 years' worth of national insurance contributions to get the full amount. Plenty of people, like Tina, who've worked abroad or taken a career break to raise children, may have missing years from their contributions. How much will they lose? Well, at the moment, the maths is pleasingly simple because you mentioned the rate of the pension, which in pounds per week is just £175, and you need 35 years of contributions, and 35 into 175 is a fiver. So conveniently, every year 
you are lacking in your national insurance record is a fiver off your pension. It won't always be exactly that, but it just gives you an order of magnitude. So if you can do something to build up one extra year, you're adding a fiver a week or £260 a year or £5,000 over a whole retirement. So these gaps really do matter. Now, people like Tina who've identified those gaps using the Check Your State Pension website, what action can they take when they realise that they do have a few missing years? A classic example would be someone, say, retired at 60, you can't get a state pension until they're 66. So all these years up to 66 are gaps. And what you can do as an employee is pay voluntary national insurance, known in the jargon as Class 3, just over £15 per week. So about, let's say, £780 or so pounds a year. So you pay over that lump sum for one year's worth of national insurance, and that gives you an extra 35th, this five a week, on your pension. So as long as you survive, as long as you survive about four years post-retirement, allowing for a bit of tax, then you're quids in. You've got your money back and everything else is profit. So for an employee, voluntary class three is well worth looking at. So for Tina, it sounds like something she will want to pursue, around £2,000 to fill in 11 missing years. But Sir Steve warns this won't always be the right solution for everyone. There's a couple of main caveats. One is that if you think you might be on benefits in retirement, housing benefits, healthy the council tax, pension credit, anything like that, you need to think very carefully because basically what they give you with one hand in higher state pension, they claw back with the other hand in reduced benefits. But at the other end of the scale, anyone who's got some spare cash could put it in now towards their pension. They just need to check that by paying an extra year, they will actually boost their pension. Because of the complex transitional rules to the new system, there are scenarios where it doesn't boost your pension. So what HMRC say in their correspondence is, before you give us the money, check it's actually going to increase your pension. In the show notes for this episode, I've included loads of useful links that you can follow to check your UK state pension and find out more information about how to buy extra years. I've also included contact details for the International Pension Centre, which is on hand to provide advice and information to people like Tina who live or have lived overseas. Sorting out your pension pots can be a struggle. So I really hope this podcast has given you the confidence to tackle your own future retirement plans. But what did Tina make of all of these tips and takeaways from our experts? It's incredibly helpful to hear their advice and suggestions. With regards to Catherine, I really liked her idea with the where, when, who, what plan and doing also the monthly expenditure document that is going to really help me get my head around this. And going forward, what practical steps do you think you'll take next as a result of listening to what the experts had to say? So for my personal pensions and the company pensions, which are all sort of dotted around, mm-hmm. I definitely plan to finish gathering the final statements from them or a latest statement from them to make sure that I understand exactly where I stand with each pension. And How do you think you'll feel when you've got your pensions exactly where you want them? Very relieved and feel a little bit more in control of my destiny. And particularly on the national insurance pension, you know, the pension I've been paying for so many years, but I'm missing the 11 years. The advice from Sir Steve Webb is incredible because when I looked at that document, I was thinking it makes sense just to pay it. But on the other hand, I was thinking, is there a catch? Now, obviously, 
This has taken quite a lot of administrative grunt on your side. Now, for anyone else listening, thinking, oh, I have all of this ahead of me, what would you say to them? Is it worth the bother? Definitely. It's worth a bother, even though it's painful. And I think I failed in when I moved to various countries and I got married and I got a divorce and I got married again. I absolutely should have been in touch with these companies to get my addresses up to date, my name up to date, all those good things, which I didn't do because it was, oh, I'll leave it till I'm older, who cares type of thing. I suppose one of the reasons that we put off dealing with things like pensions is because we think, well, that's when I'm old. It's not for the here and now. And actually, that's crazy because if I'd maybe made some smarter decisions sooner, then I would have improved my income when I'm older, which is critical when you don't have actually a salary income coming in the door or my husband is now the only breadwinner in our family. But if he wants to retire, then we really do need to know where our finances sit. And I need to do all this work, by the way, for him. (laughs) That's it for Money Clinic with me, Claire Barrett, this week. And we hope you like what you've heard. If you would like to chat with me on a future episode of the show and get some expert thoughts on a money issue that's bugging you, then email me. Our address is money at ft.com. Do have a look at the show notes for this episode. They're packed with links to articles about all of the pensions topics we've talked about here, as well as free UK resources like PensionWise, where you can obtain individual guidance. You could also take a peek at our website, ft.com money, grab a copy of the FT Weekend newspaper, or follow me on Instagram, at Claire B. Money Clinic was produced in London by Persis Love and Josh de la Mare. Our sound engineer is Breen Turner and our editor is Amy Keane. And the original music is by Metaphor Music. And finally, just so you know, the Money Clinic podcast is a general discussion around financial topics and does not constitute an investment recommendation or individual financial advice. For that, you'll need to find an independent financial advisor. That's the small print over and done with. See you back here next week. Goodbye. 